0: Welcome to Kishwaukee Bible Church. Would you join me in prayer? Father, I thank you for the great love and joy and light and peace that comes during this time of the year that we think about, this come through Christ that we celebrate this time. Thank you, God, for the worship we've been able to give to you in song. May our worship continue now as we take these thoughts that we have just reflected on and, and, uh, and drive them deeper as we unpack your word together. Thank you, God, for the privilege of being to do this in community and for the love that not only you bestowed upon us, but for the love that we can bestow upon others. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Well, I would ask you to take your Bibles and open them to Psalm 22. Psalm 22, that is where we are this morning. As you're turning there, I want to say some thank yous. First of all, thank you to uh, Sean, who's not here, but uh, who preached a few weeks ago. Hopefully you had a chance to meet him and and, and see uh, get a chance to know him. He's a wonderful preacher and a wonderful man of God. I'm glad that you guys had an opportunity to hear him preach and Thank you to Jeff Lewis, who's in Sunday school, I think, right now, but for uh, leading the time uh, last week while we were gone. Uh, We had this wonderful opportunity bestowed upon us, as you know, to uh, spend some time uh, almost as a family in Europe. Anna had to stay back because of college, but everybody but Anna was able to go and uh, see some old friends and people that I've known. You know, Dave Patty, who uh, started Josiah Venture, is a dear friend. I've known him for about 25 years. I met him before he started Josiah Venture and uh, we've just been able to share friendship over the years and being able to be in his home and, 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 and just be with him was a wonderful time and meet some people or uh, connect with people I haven't connected with in a long time, just old dear friends as well as be with Milan who we support and, and uh, the people that we've been able to uh, partner with with our uh, summer outreaches to check. So it was just a good relational time for us. And uh, and I appreciate uh, the extra time off to be able to take that little unforeseen trip this year. And uh, it was a wonderful time. Uh, two weeks is a long time to be gone. It felt long. I did have some excitement, though. The Friday after Thanksgiving, somebody came in with a recording of the Bears game. I thought of some people. And... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it was a great day for me at least and uh, that was a fun surprise to see the bears beat the packers it was, it was just a little taste of home there for me so anyways uh, but today we are looking here at psalm 22 as we're on our second sunday of advent and uh and and i'm excited about what we're looking at today last week you had an opportunity Uh, Jeff was able to share with you the first thought we wanted to introduce in terms of Advent, which was the fact that Jesus conquered. Jesus conquered, that he conquered Satan, that that when when God was was unveiling the coming of the Messiah, the very first thing he unveils in the law, the very first thing he unveils in Genesis is that one is going to come who's going to crush the head of the serpent, going to conquer him. And as the message of the Messiah begins to unfold in the Old Testament, we enter into the Psalms, and we're going to look at that today. And we're going to see how this message kind of continues on and and begins to paint a bigger picture of the Messiah. Over the weeks to come, we'll be looking, Lord willing, at the Advent and the prophets, and we'll see how Jesus suffered, and the Advent and the Gospels, how Jesus revealed. And, and, And the whole idea behind this is to show you what people or what the scriptures say about the coming of the Messiah. Now, this is an important thing, and especially the one we're looking at today, Jesus delivering, because we're going to be looking at an aspect of what Jesus delivered us from uh, in a slightly different angle. Oftentimes, when you think of Jesus delivering you from something, you think about Jesus just delivering you from your sin, right that you're a sinner and that hell is the consequence and and he's going to deliver you from that sin. And that is 100% true. But there's another piece to that. There's another piece, and that piece we're going to look at today that's unfolding in Psalm 22. And that particular piece, I think, is very relevant this time of the year to think about. And here's the reason why I would say this I was just looking at some statistics this week that uh, it says that uh, during Christmas season, 45% of Americans get depressed. 45%. That's the statistic. This particular time of the year surfaces a lot of craziness, right? It's a really busy season. You know, you go to 750 Christmas recitals... You know, fifty thousand Christmas pageants. You can't. There is no free space in your weekend, right? I mean, you're running from one event to the next event, and everything's crazy. And then you're you're trying to negotiate with family about all of the get-togethers, which is for some like really stressful, right? You know, as you're trying to figure out how who's going to go where, what are you going to do here, and what about this and that, and then all that stuff that goes on at Christmas. It becomes a crazy time, and then. During that time, sometimes it can highlight a lot of the dysfunctions, right? All of us are from dysfunctional families, right? And all of us find out how dysfunctional we are when we all get in a room together at Christmas. It's crazy, isn't it? This is what really happens. and And after a while, you can start getting worn out. And for some people, it highlights even other things. You know, it highlights loneliness. It highlights despair. It highlights that... That, uh, that, that we don't have money It highlights stress on a lot of levels And all of that comes crashing down And what I find kind of ironic Is that a, a time of the year called Christmas A time of the year that has Christ mentioned in it Evokes such depression Right? And, and craziness And sometimes what happens Is that we can kind of lose sight Of Christ during Christmas I'm not talking about whether or not they play Christmas music in the the, the malls or things like that. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about that we can lose sight of Christ and the anchor that we have in Him and the hope that we have in Him. And that that this particular time of the year doesn't have to dominate us as much as it can also cause us to reflect on what we have. Today, we're looking at Psalm 22. Psalm 22. We're going to be looking at an element of Jesus delivering us from something. And here's the thing that, he's going to deliver, that we're going to see that he delivers us from. He delivers us from the separation that exists between us and God. One of the things that this time of the year can do for people is it can cause people to feel distant from God. Because it's so crazy, because it's such a wild time of the year and so much is happening, after a while people can start feeling distant from God. Sometimes it can highlight your own sin. It can highlight kind of things going on in your own heart. And you can start thinking, you know, I I don't even know how close I am to God right now. I'm not walking with God at all. Right? And all of a sudden you come to events, Christmas events, and you come to maybe church services, and, and you're dragged in, and you're like, boy, I don't think of God at all. God probably has turned away from me. He's probably done with me. He probably wants nothing to do with me. And sometimes that feeds the depression That comes in. I would say this this is the time of the year that if I were to catalog the type of issues that come across my path, the number one issue that comes across my path is people saying, I don't feel close to God at all. I don't feel it. And one of the great things about Christmas is that we get to proclaim that you don't have to feel that way. You don't have to feel that way. And that Psalm 22 is a very unique psalm. But it tells us something. We have been delivered, not only from our sin, but we have been delivered from the separation that exists between us and God. That's one of the great hopes of Christmas. I want to show that to you today. I want to show that to you because in this psalm, we're going to see that Jesus was forsaken, left alone, forsaken by God, left alone, and forsaken by the world so that you wouldn't have to be. That's the great news. That is the great news. And I hope that when you see this today, two things happen. One, you start to get a little stirring inside of you about kind of how we should be longing and thinking about Jesus and maybe get a little touch of what the Old Testament saints were longing for when they thought of the coming of the Messiah. But I also hope that it encourages you today. That if you come in here and you're feeling a little separated, you're feeling like already we're like just a a few, you know, not even two weeks into the whole Christmas season and you're already going crazy, that you feel like, man, I I just need to be reminded again of what Jesus did. need to be reminded I'm not separated from him. That God will not turn his back on me. He can't because he turned his back on Jesus in your place. That's what we're going to see today. And I hope it encourages you. So let's begin. Let's look here at the beginning here. And Jesus was forsaken of God. Look at Psalm 22. And just the first couple of verses. He says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? From the words of my groaning. Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night I find no rest. It's an interesting psalm. When people read this psalm, Many have looked, and there's a lot of literature, people looking at the psalm, trying to figure out, what in the world is David talking about? When people look at this psalm, they, 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 they say nothing in the life of David happened that would cause him to write this psalm. He's not writing about himself. In fact, if you were to read the whole psalm, I'm not going to do it, but you could read it this afternoon. If you read through the whole psalm, there's nothing in this psalm that reflects anything in the life of David. Nothing happened to where God had so rejected him that he endured the scorn of the nations because of what he had done. And so people, when they look at this throughout the ages, have said, hey, as David's not writing about himself. He's writing about the one that's going to come through him. He's writing, God is allowing him to have a certain set of feelings and go through a certain set of emotions, but he's writing this stuff about one who's going to come. And throughout history, and throughout redemptive history, throughout even the era before Christ, even the Jews understood that this psalm was what they called a the messianic psalm. It was a psalm referencing someone else, the one who's to come, anticipating an experience this one who's going to come was to have. And when you look at this psalm, there's only one person that this psalm fits, and it's Jesus. Jesus is the only one. That when you read through, if you were to read through it, went through all of these experiences that are listed in this psalm. And so it's understood, this is about the coming of the Messiah. This is about the one who will come. This is about the one who's going to do something for us. And what's he going to do? This text tells us he's going to be forsaken by God. But it's interesting. When you look at the psalm, in fact, I kind of want to set the context for you because it begins in this really depressive way, right? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Right? And we'll unpack what that means in a moment here. But it begins in this really depressive way. But I just want you, just in your Bibles, flip to the end of this psalm. Look at verse 27. Verse 27, pretty powerful ending. He says this, All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before you for kingships belong to the lord and he rules over nations all the prosperous of the earth eat and worship before him shall bow all who go down to the dust even the one who could not keep himself alive posterity shall serve him it shall be told of the lord to the coming of the generations they shall come and proclaim his righteousness to people yet unborn that he has done it now when i read that you probably go, what's he saying here It's interesting, the psalm ends with the fact that the nations of the world are going to hear how awesome God is. And the nations of the world are going to come, and even people who aren't born yet are going to experience this blessing. So what's interesting is the psalm begins with someone being forsaken. And it ends with the nations experiencing a blessing because of it. That's where the trajectory of the psalm is going. Here's the point of it. Someone is being forsaken in your place so that that you could be accepted by God. We sing a song like that, don't we? You know, we sing a song, that amazing love, I'm accepted, you're rejected. That whole idea, you were forsaken, I'm alive, these thoughts that because this happened to you, I now get acceptance. You see, here's the point of this whole thing. Jesus was forsaken so that we would never have to worry about being forsaken by God. That's the good news. He delivered you from ever having to fear being rejected by God. It's incredible. Now you say, but you don't know what I've done, Steve. God should reject me. Well, what we're going to show you is how rejected he was. That's what we're going to see today, how deeply rejected he was, which means that it was, it was enough, it was sufficient, because he was fully rejected by God. Let's show it to you here. Let's look. We're here in our first point, that he was forsaken of God. There are three cries that this person gives, that the Messiah gives. Notice the first one, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus said that on the cross, didn't he? It's recorded in Arabic. I'm sorry, in Aramaic, in your Bible. Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. You see that in your, in your text when you read the story of Jesus on the cross. That is the only time Jesus screamed. And all that he endured, he said he was quiet, silent. And then when God forsook him, he screams this verse. He experienced what it means to be forsaken. What does it mean to be forsaken of God? Simple answer is this. There's an image. I'll give you the image and then we'll unpack the image. The image is God turning his back. But but it's not turning back in the way that we turn our back on people. Right? You get annoyed with somebody and you say, You're Fine, I'm done with you. I don't want to talk to you anymore. It's not that. It's an actual rejection saying, You will no longer get any grace, mercy, kindness, compassion. You will get nothing but my justice. That's it. You just that's it. You're no more mercy. That's what it means to be forsaken of God. It means that, that the mercy's gone, nothing but pure justice. So this person experiences that. But then he goes on. He has a second cry. There's three cries. First cry, why have you forsaken me? Second cry, why are you so far from saving me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? That's an interesting statement. I want you to think about this? If you have kids, you know that when your kids are hurt, you move towards them, right? Lisa had her appendix out a few weeks ago, a month ago. The morning that she was going to go in, I'm getting ready to go to the office. And Heather says, hey, Steve, you might want to go downstairs. Check on Alyssa. You go downstairs, she's in pain. Now, as a parent, you don't go, hey, suck it up. Get up, kid. When I was your age, I had to do that without shoes. You know, like, right? I mean, you don't do that as a parent. Right? And we'd call that a bad parent if they did that. Okay? You move towards the pain. And you start trying to figure this thing out. What's wrong? Okay, does this blah, 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 blah. Okay, right? And then you, you have compassion. And you're constantly moving towards your kids when they have pain. He's saying this. I am groaning and God is walking away from me. What are you doing, God? Why are you so far? I am groaning. No movement towards me. You're not trying to resolve my groaning at all. Right? I mean, that's what you do as a parent. You're constantly trying to resolve the groaning not the complaining, right? the groaning. <laughs> but he's not doing it. God's not moving towards him. And then it keeps going. The third cry. Oh my God, I cry by day but you do not answer, and by night but I find no rest. I cannot get away from this is what he's saying. Now he keeps turning to God, but God just keeps the the you know, the fire coming on him. Right? Why? And this is what he's saying. Is there going to be relief from this? No. He's being forsaken. Why? So you don't have to be. So you don't have to be. But this leads us now to our second point. Not only was he forsaken of God, he was also left alone by God. Look at verse 3. I want to read verses 3 through 5. Then I'm just going to read the very first word of verse 6. Just so you understand that there's a contrast. He's setting up a contrast here. He says, Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. And you our fathers trusted. They trusted, and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. And you they trusted and were not put to shame. And then verse 6, But. Okay, so he's setting all this up as a contrast. Now, I'll explain these verses and then tell you why i titled this Left Alone by God. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, In Israel... When I look back at all of the fathers, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, when I look at Moses, when I look at these people, they worshiped you, man. They, like, they, they, they offered praises up to you. It was almost like their words were building a throne room in which you dwelt. That's what he's saying. And they were just worshiping you and worshiping you, and, and they trusted in you, and when a problem came, you solved their problem. Which means you never put them to shame. Now, let me explain to you the shame part that he's referencing here. In Israel, back in the Old Testament time, uh, people worshiped, you know, outside of Israel, you know, the the, the Gentiles, they worshiped Baals, pagan gods. And they had these, and all their gods were localized gods. So you lived in a particular village, you had your own god. And if you were going to go plant your Your crops for the year you would first bring the seeds of your crop to the bale and you'd say here I'm giving this to an offering as an offering to you And uh, and and please now bless my crops and then you go over and you plant your crops And then when it's growing season if your crops are growing people will look at you and say wow, man You must be really devout because the bale has blessed your crops So you're good. You're a good person if your crops aren't growing the people would say, wow, you must be a horrible person because Baal isn't blessing your crops. Now, the Israelites come in and they say, we worship one God. We don't have a bunch of localized God. We have one God who made all of heaven and earth. He's the God of the nations. He's one God. We worship him. Now, when things would go bad, the people would stand back, the Gentiles would stand back, and go, wow, you know, you serve the God of Israel, but he's not helping you, right? Shame would come upon you. And then God would help, and the people would go, wow, God is the God. Your God is powerful. And so they were very aware of how people viewed their life and whether or not things were going good or bad, whether or not God delivered them or didn't deliver them. And now what he's saying is, okay, they worshiped you. They trusted you. When they had a problem, they brought it to you, and you delivered them. And you spared them from the shame of people saying, you're a horrible person because your God isn't blessing you. You spared them from the embarrassment of that. That's what he's saying. Now the implication, as we're going to see as the text unfolds, is that he's not getting that. He's under this wrath That is just pouring on him with no relief. And yet everybody knows he serves this God. And yet everything just seems to be getting worse and worse and worse for him. And now people are saying, well, you're this horrible person. Because God isn't delivering you. And it's as if he was left alone by God. It's as if God just helped everybody in the past and then just stopped helping this one. He backed off. Okay. Okay. So he's left alone. But then that leads us now to the third point. That not only was he left alone, but he was also forsaken by the world. He says this, But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him for he delights in him. What's going on here? He's saying, okay, here I am experiencing this being forsaken by you. I get no blessing. I'm just getting constant judgment, constant judgment, and no relief. And the people are watching this, and they're saying, you're a horrible person. In fact, he says this. Notice how he defines himself. He says, I'm a worm. What, what, is, what does a worm mean? What's it, what's, why I use the word worm? I mean, pretty much throughout the history of the world, worms have been overlooked, right? Right? I, I mean, seriously. There's, you know, I'm sure that there are like people who study worms. Right? In some of, and if you're one of those people, I apologize for ruining your life's work here. But, but fundamentally, <laughs> worms are pretty much overlooked, right? You're good for bait, and that's about it, catching other things. I'm sure there's other things worms do. But, but fundamentally, society doesn't care. They'll step on a worm. They'll kick a worm. They don't care about worms. And he's picking the lowest creature he can pick. And he's saying, because of this judgment that I'm under, I am no longer considered worth anything. This is complete rejection. And the point we're trying to get here is that Jesus experienced all of that. So you never have to experience this. That's the point complete rejection to the point where where he considers himself worthless and then he says not only am i a worm i'm not even a man what does he mean by that this is kind of a kind of a hard way to explain this but an uncomfortable way to explain it but if you take like the worst criminal ever that you could think of right like just some of these guys that turn up once every 10 or 15 years that you know mutilate people and cut them up in their homes and do all these kind of you know like and they've killed like 30 people that that kind of person right and when that person turns up the whole world just kind of gets shocked and what happens inside of you whether you know it or not when you hear about this person is you be you stop thinking about that person as a person right you start using terms like they're psychotic they're crazy And if you hear this person's going to get locked away in a dungeon for the rest of your life, you go, good. Good. This person hurt too many people. Good. You have that reaction. When somebody is considered so repulsive, we stop attributing human qualities to them, and we start trying to come up with other words when they're that repulsive. That's what this text is saying. That the judgment of God was so much upon him that the world stopped looking at him as a human. And they began to say, you are repulsive. That's how bad the rejection got. That's how bad it got. He was a worm. He wasn't a man. And then what happens? He was scorned and despised. People just said, you're, we could kill you in a heartbeat. We'll take a murderer over you. You're, you're, you're just, we just hate you. We, we want nothing to do with you. And then he's mocked. Notice the mocking. That's that whole idea that people would say, hey, you know, something's wrong with you because your God isn't saving you. You trust in God, go ahead, call out to him. Call out to him. Delight him. Not working. You're a horrible person, that's why. This is your fault. This is all your fault. And so the world forsook him. And the reason why this is pointed out here, it's it 's recognizing That God really did do this. It wasn't just in some backroom way. God so rejected this one to come, the Messiah, that even everybody saw it. It was that visible. It was that intense. And the world lost complete respect and said, you are a worthless person, worthy of death. And so we can spit on you. We can pull on your beard. We can can do all of this. Because we don't see you as human anymore. We see you as psychotic, subhuman. Now, this is like the cheery Christmas message, right? (laughs) Why this on Christmas? What does this have to do with Christmas? This is what the Messiah was coming to do. To be rejected to such a degree that even the world would reject him. So that you would never have to face rejection. You don't have to worry about it. You don't have to say, well, I could never go to God. You know what? I've committed this sin like 15 times this week. God would never. No, you don't understand. It's literally paid in full. Right? I mean, this is it. This is is a rejection beyond belief. This is an element where God said, I am forsaking. But the plan, as Psalm 22 tells us, isn't just to reject Jesus and leave him in a rejected state. Eventually, in the middle of the psalm, he gets restored. And at the end of the psalm, the nations get to rejoice in the glory of God. It's awesome. That's a great spot for an amen, isn't it? Right? That's That's great stuff. This is the message. This is the hope that we have in Christmas. So, how do we relate this to Christmas? Let me kind of wrap this up give you some thoughts to think about. The coming of the Messiah was a coming to not only crush the head of the serpent, right, to deal with Satan, but to deliver you from the rejection of God. To deliver you from it. So you could say, ah, God would never accept me. No, you don't understand. He can, justly, legally. Because he literally took the consequences of all of your sin, placed it on Jesus and, and, and rejected him. So that you could be accepted by him. And so the hope of Christmas is that you can be delivered from the rejection of God. Now, this promise has not been given to us so that we can go, Oh, this is really awesome. I can do whatever I want. Right? That's If you're thinking that, you've missed the whole point. You need to go back and listen to this online again. Okay? You've missed the whole point. You cannot think to yourself... Great! I can do whatever I want. I'm accepted by God. Party on! That's not the point. The point is that you can bring your sin to Him for cleansing, for forgiveness. You don't have to cover it. You don't have to build a mask. You don't have to pretend like you're something else. You don't have to do any of that. You actually can be honest about it and know that there's care and compassion and mercy waiting. There is absolutely nothing to fear. You do not need to fear this. You know, I was thinking this week about a conversation I had a few years ago with a guy. He wasn't a Christian, but he had a very uh, unique kind of religious system in his head that he had kind of believed about God. He believed that God was this very holy God, very just God. He had a right view of God in that regard. God is holy. And he saw himself as a sinner. And he thought that the entire quest of life was just to strive to please God. And and as we're talking about this, he had clearly rejected Jesus, clearly rejected this, but he's just like, hey, man, this is it. So I just said, hey, do you believe in heaven? And he said, yes, I believe in heaven. I said, how are you going to get to heaven then? I mean, if God is so infinitely holy, which he is, and you're really a deep sinner, which you are, what hope do you have to go to heaven? Here was his response. I pray every day that if today is my last day, I pray that God would be in a really good mood when I die. And that maybe he'd let me in you go wow you need a different religion <laughs> this one really stinks your entire hope is that god would be in a good mood when you die that's it you've missed it you don't understand you are ab- i told him you're absolutely right jesus is holy you're absolutely right you are a sinner you're absolutely right You can't close the gap in that God should reject you for your sin. But you've missed the point that Jesus came to be rejected in your place. Justly, so that you can be justly accepted in God's presence. You take Jesus out of religion, you take Jesus out of any belief system, and it is just a hopeless endeavor, right? Because I deserve to be rejected by God. I deserve it. But I'm not. Because jesus came to be rejected so What I want you to think about here this morning As we kind of draw this to a close here Is I want you to realize two things. There's two things. I want you to take home from this number one I I want you to be thinking about that I want you to be thinking about that as you go through your life and and in whatever Things you're going to do this week The dumb things you're going to do the arguments you're going to get in the people you're going to sin against Things you're going to think wrong. All that kind of stuff. As you you kind of collect a series of things this week. And you're going through your week. um, You could get to Thursday and you might say to yourself, I can't even bring this to God anymore. Like, he would never listen to this. I I can't do that. You know. You have no idea what I've done, who I am. There's no way I can bring it. I want you to stop and say, wait a minute. That is the dumbest thought ever. I'm rejecting it. Because look at Jesus was thoroughly forsaken for you so that you could be accepted. You can bring that sin, you can bring your life, you can bring your heart, you can turn. And you know what's waiting? Grace, mercy, patience, love, kindness, compassion. That's it. He's moving towards you. He moved away from Jesus so that he could move towards you. That's the point. He rejected Jesus in your place. You've been delivered. Do not ever stop to think that you have not been delivered from God turning his back on you. You've been delivered. That's the hope of Christmas. You've been delivered from that. That's the first thing I want you to think about. Don't ever, ever think that you can't bring your life. Don't ever think you've sinned, out-sinned the grace of God. Don't ever think that God's going to turn his back on you. Okay. You can bring your life to him. We don't believe that to sin more. We believe that because... That's the hope that we can sin less. I can bring my life before him. Second thing that I want you to think about. I've been praying for you guys this week. And here's been my prayer. Very specific prayer. God, would you bring someone in every person's life who's here today who needs to hear this message and that you would have the courage to share it with them. So I'm just praying that God would bring some really disturbed person to your life this week. And that you, I don't mean that in a bad way. You guys are chuckling at me. I'm trying to say something from my heart here. I don't mean disturbed like crazy. That's funny. Some of the looks you guys were giving me a minute ago. Took a while for me to, what did I just say? Somebody who's hurting, right? Somebody who needs to hear this. And that rather than you getting annoyed or frustrated with them, that, that, that you would be reminded, wait a minute. This is the person that needs to hear this. This is the person who needs the hope. You know, we're here. It's Advent. This is the time we get to talk about this. And you can say, you know what we talked about in our church on Sunday? Jesus came to deliver us from the rejection of God. Did you know that? You can be accepted in his presence no matter what you've done. Bring your life, bring your sin. You bring it to Christ, man, and there is forgiveness. There is forgiveness. And so I'm praying that somebody will come across. And and, and when it happens, send me an email. I want to know about it. I want to pray for them. Because I believe that we need to bring this message of hope. We don't want to just hang on to it here, man. The world needs to hear it. Would you bow your head with me? As you're bowing your head here, I, I can't help but think that some of you needed to hear this today as well that you needed to know that you're not rejected by God. Maybe the circumstances of your life have led you to think that God has turned His back on you, but He hasn't. And that you can cry out to Him and, and that the events that He brings us through is not to shun us, but it's to sanctify us. And so take heart today. And find courage in that. Father, as we gather here, just reflecting on this psalm here this morning, reflecting on the the truth of it, reflecting on the fact that this one was forsaken so that we could be forgiven. This one was rejected so that we could be accepted. This one was shunned by you, so that we could have a path and a wide open door that the, that, the, that the curtain can be torn into and we have bold access to the very throne room where you are. That you have forsaken Christ for us. You've delivered us. Lord, if there are people in this room today that feel like they have sinned too much, They maybe look around the room here and they think, Oh, I'm not as good as these people around me. I I don't have my life together. I don't have my family together like everyone else around me. And they might feel this and they might be trying to pretend like they're something else. God, would you just free them from that? Don't let them build a facade, but come honestly before you. Let them know that you accept them because of what you did in Christ. You accept them because you forgave their sins because of Christ's sacrifice. You accept them because you rejected Christ. And in you, they can find peace, hope, and healing. I pray, God, that they would turn to you this morning, cry out to you to find that peace. I also pray, God, that you would bring at least one person to all of our lives this week who needs to hear this. Somebody who's just feeling separated, distant from God, feeling pain, feeling the anxiety that comes. And, Lord, may we have the courage And the boldness to bring this message of hope to them. Let us be salt to the people around us. Let us shine light to the people around us. Let us not hide this message under a bushel. Let us not bury it in the dirt. But let us boldly proclaim that Christ was forsaken so we could be forgiven. Lord, please bring people into our lives that need to hear it. Give us discernment to see it and courage to speak. In Christ's name, Amen. Thank you for joining us at Kishwaukee Bible Church. For more information about our church, please visit our church's website at kishbible.org. That's k-i-s-h bible.org.